The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. I'm delighted to welcome this week's guest, Yusuf Ozdauga, to the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan. Yusuf is a partner at QED Investors. He's also a board member at Fidel API, Wayflyer, GetGround, Weaver, and Restless, and probably a couple of others that, <laughs> that I've omitted there. He's also, as far as I'm aware, the first jiu-jitsu medalist I've ever interviewed on the show. So I'll be interested to find out more about that. Yusuf, a very warm welcome. Thank you, Gary. Pleasure to be here. Let's begin with hearing about your journey, your hero's journey from jiu-jitsu to VC investor. Just walk me through that. Yeah. I mean, in terms of my background, I'm half Swedish, half Turkish, which has kind of been a fortunate uh, background for me in terms of giving two very different perspectives on life. So I, I think of Turkey and Sweden as two opposite extremes of the European spectrum uh, on many fronts. And growing up in both of those cultures very intimately has given me pretty good perspective on different cultures, different value systems, and different ways of doing the same things. Uh, interestingly, then after high school, when I was 18, I moved to the US for college. Uh, I, this is in the 90s, and I ended up studying finance and MIS, so database design and database management. And I joined Capital One three years after its IPO in 97, thinking that there was a great place to combine data mining with finance. And that led me on a great journey. We grew very fast. It was very exciting. And I was there for several years until the early 2000s, at which point Capital One became a bit more like a bank. Uh, and then I decided to move on and sort of continue my career and switched into uh, investing eventually after having started my own business as well and did growth PE. And then four years ago, I joined QED to set up their London presence, their London office. And the founders of QED were the people that I'd worked with, you know, at this point, 20 years ago in the 90s at, at Capital One. So it was full circle for me and a very exciting way to continue my career in the world of fintech. Jiu-Jitsu, that's interesting. You know, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one, the medal there, because it shows you sometimes you just got to show up. Uh, I don't, what I don't say in my LinkedIn profile is uh, in my weight and belt category, when I competed, there were only three people competing and I managed to get a bronze medal. So uh, sometimes <laughs> you just got to show up and train. You put a bit of marketing spin on that. I love that. Are there any lessons you've applied from your experience in jiu-jitsu to, to your... Uh, philosophy on investing? Yeah, I mean, there's several. So one is just showing up, I think. It is very easy to sort of get discouraged. And I think there's been many books, and you probably, Gary, know better than I do that, uh, you know, the key to success many times is just showing up. Um, I've, you know, if you look at the book like Atomic Habits, they have a pretty good example there with world-class athletes. Uh, they say that one of the biggest skills they have is actually not being more excited about what they do than others, but actually continuing doing what they do, even when they're super bored and super unmotivated. So I think that's one thing with jujitsu. Um, you know, just got to keep do doing it to get the results and show up on the mats, you know, day after day, which many times you're not motivated to do, to do exactly that, but you still do it. And the other thing is, you know, life throws at you, you know, many difficult situations, 
And, you know, I, I always think about how can you use the force not, by not opposing it, but basically by using it to your advantage. And I think that's very relevant in the 21st century. I and mean, the world, I mean, COVID, if anything, has demonstrated this. Things come at you uh, unexpectedly. And if you try to oppose it, you, it's like running into a wall. So you just accept it, move with it, and try to use the situation to your advantage. Do you still find time to practice jiu-jitsu or any other sports or martial arts? No, uh, I left it at a blue belt and a, a year before COVID and I had given it a slight break and I was about to give it a last chance because as, as the belts get higher, the level gets higher and you know you don't want to be doing it if you feel like you may not even get the bronze anymore. So um, I was questioning that and then sadly COVID put a stop to it though. Uh, I know one of my old instructors, um, Eduardo, is a great jiu-jitsu instructor bravely try to continue doing his classes in London during COVID. And there's a lot of controversy about it uh, in media, but he is a believer that it was good for mental health, which I guess we'll talk about today a little bit. And he was a believer that he should keep doing it. Now that's a controversial position, so I will not take a stance on it, but uh, I did not continue uh, during this period. I noticed from your blog that you also have a very creative philosophy and approach to life. How does that philosophy shape the way you evaluate potential investment opportunities? I'm a big believer in sort of combining the left brain and right brain uh, on the individual level. And I think more importantly, at the organization level, I'm a really big believer in diversity. And I think diversity comes in many forms. Uh, and I think there's always a risk for anyone as a person, as an organization, to go into your comfort zone. Uh, and that comfort zone, unfortunately, results in a sort of anti-diverse outcome in many cases. And I think going back to my upbringing in Sweden and Turkey, I, I see that you know different, very different approaches can bring very, very similar outcomes and also in their own right, equally successful outcomes. But if you can combine both, you actually get something that's bigger than some of the parts. So I think that's one thing I always try to emphasize, diversity, different approaches, look at things from a different perspective. One thing we like to say at QD is there's many different ways to win at the game of VC. So you can win in different ways and you can find good companies in different ways. And I try to be as open-minded as I can, which uh, is not easy, but at least I'm aware of the fact that I don't start in an open-minded position. So I force myself to be as open-minded as I can when I approach people and companies. Do you encourage diversity within the portfolio companies in the sense of are you encouraging them to, to build leadership teams and senior management teams that have got diverse experiences and have got diverse backgrounds? Uh, yeah, very much so. Even in our last partnership meeting this past Monday, we were talking about, you know, if you don't measure something, you can't manage it, as the saying goes. So we should measure very actively diversity elements in each portfolio. And that's one thing we push. And there's some companies in our portfolio globally that do this really, really well. Some not as well at the moment, but they're trying to and they're open to it. But I think us as investors uh, really need to push for this and lead with a good example as well. I think since even since I joined, the diversity element at QD has increased substantially. We're still very, very far from perfect, but I think uh, we like to show that we value this quite a lot and hopefully set a good example in the years to come. But uh, we still have a ways to go as well. Indeed. Now, you touched upon COVID and mental health earlier on. And I know that mental health and substance abuse in, in the startup world uh, are topics that you 
and your colleagues feel really strongly about. You've been personally touched by some of these issues. And I get the feeling that these issues are so often swept under the table. The COVID pandemic seems to have accentuated a lot of these mental health challenges for so many people. And you're involved in, I think you helped launch a program called Shatterproof to help address some of these issues. So I'd love to hear more about Shatterproof, how and why you got involved. Yeah, thank you, Gary. This is a sort of deeply personal topic for us as QED. And as you say, during COVID, mental health has very much come to the forefront because some of the very unfortunate and painful things uh, we experienced at QED uh, shortly after I joined, uh, we, we'd been thinking about these issues pretty deeply and uh, ahead of many other funds. And not to say um, other people were not thinking about it, they were as well. So part of it is the experiences we had. Part of it is QED being originally based in the US, where, as you know, there's an opiate epidemic that is extremely painful and has claimed many lives. I joined QED in the summer of 2017. And one of our partners, shortly thereafter, in a year or so after that, passed away from problems relating to addiction. And in his case, it was an addiction to opiates. We did not know this at the time, and nobody knew about it um, at QED. And when it did happen, we were truly, truly shocked. It really threw us for a tailspin. So the first deal that I did um, in, in London when I joined QED was WageStream. And the partner that passed away, Greg Muzanek, was very much the creative force behind that deal. He put it together. Um, he, uh, you know, spearheaded it. And because it was, in, you know, because it was done in London, I was working very closely with Greg um, on making that deal happen and the founders and both of the founders, Peter and Portman of Waystream were very close friends with Greg. So we had a very common connection to him and it was a very personal uh, deal where Greg was very involved and we got involved at the foundation stage effectively, uh, helping build the company with Peter and Portman from the ground up. And shortly after, uh, you know, it was in early 2018 when we founded the company, shortly after that, Greg passed away. After that happened, obviously, we uh, you know, had to really think about why this happened, how could it have happened, how, how come we didn't notice these things, and there was a lot of introspection, and we sort of uh, started looking back at it and realized that, in many ways, this was just the tip of the iceberg, and we started thinking about addiction in, and mental health problems more broadly, and especially in the startup world, and as we started digging deeper, we found some statistics that were truly remarkable, unsettling, and uh, really made us think we need to do something here. So if you think about founders, which we work with and we support, and our mission is to help founders, founders are two times more likely to suffer from depression. They're six times more likely to suffer from ADHD. Uh, they're 10 times more likely to suffer from bipolar disorder. And, you know, sadly, sadly, two times more likely to have suicidal thoughts. And part of this goes to how hard it is to be a founder, right? We also like to say at QED, if you're working for a big bank, you can go home for a year maybe. And when you come back a year later, 90% of the business that you ran may still be there. If you're a founder, if you go home for a year, you'll be lucky if 10% of the business is still there. And that puts a tremendous pressure on founders. And this is not just about founders, it's about partners at VC firms like Greg. It's about C-level people um, at the startups. It's about people that are just starting a startup or joining a startup at the very sort of entry level. And everybody is affected by this. And we thought, how can we, how can we help on this? And we said, the best way is to 
create awareness and shine a light on it and destigmatize some of these conversations around it. So I think it's pretty easy to think that if, if you're suffering from some of these issues, it's very hard for you to go and tell your boss or your partner as a founder that, uh, you know what, uh, I'm addicted to opiates, right? So, so then we started thinking, how do you create the resources, A, to destigmatize it, but B, also to create the resources where realistically people can help themselves and you can also help others. And also very importantly, you can catch and prevent some of these things earlier as they start to develop. Because for us, mental health is actually not something to be ashamed of. It's really a sickness like any other sickness. And if you break your leg, you may not hide that. You'll tell your colleagues, but because of a that same leg, you start taking painkillers and you get addicted to those painkillers, then you actually may hesitate telling people about it. And so we're just trying to create awareness and support around this, starting with uh, our portfolio companies, but hopefully uh, spreading it even wider than that. Beyond the awareness and the destigmatizing, are you offering any specific support, counseling or interventions or whatever to the founders of your portfolio companies? Yeah. So. We've started a program that we're sponsoring um, along with Greg's family. And we've been very close to Greg's family in this process. And they've been very, very supportive, which we're very grateful for. They've been really great about this. So we started something called Operation Lighthouse. And part of this is about shedding lights, obviously, hence the name Lighthouse. And part of it is because, yeah, I mean, Greg was very fond of lighthouses and he used to collect <coughs> lighthouses. So, um, so, so that we picked the name uh, based on that. So if you, if you go on the internet, it's called the operationlighthouse.org. And there's resources there. And, and we're sending out something from QED called uh, Just Five as well, which is about taking five minutes, maybe every day or every week to reflect on this and reflect on yourself and your colleagues where there may be something where you can prevent it or help someone. That's really interesting. So we'll share a link to lighthouse.org or operationlighthouse.org in the uh, in the show notes. The operationlighthouse.org. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Now, you mentioned when you began talking about these substance abuse and mental health issues, you mentioned Wagestream, the, the business that you and Greg kind of helped to found and invested in. And I know that they're one of your portfolio companies who are really hitting it out of the park. So it's great that there's a legacy, not just with um, with these organizations to help on the mental health side, but also with some really successful businesses that Greg's been involved in in getting getting established. Tell me some something more about Wagestream. Why they've been so successful? Yeah, I mean, Wagestream I think illustrates in many ways QED's ethos. So um, Greg, in this case, was very passionate uh, about the space. And uh, he'd been talking about doing something. And I just recently joined to set up our UK presence. So him and I started talking about this is something that really should exist in the UK. But at this point, it did not exist. Nobody was really going after it. And, uh, you know, like with so many things in life, uh, timing and fortune and good luck is everything. So um, it just so happened that two amazing founders that Greg knew really well, um, Portman Wills and Peter Griffith, um, were just wrapping up their startups and exiting those in various degrees. So they were looking for what's next. And, and Greg got into a conversation with Peter and Portman and said, listen, isn't this a great idea? And he's very good friends with both of them. And, and they started talking and they both got really excited. They, Peter was already in London 
Uh, Portman was in the valley, but he flew over. Uh, it was actually uh, late Jan, early Feb of 2018. So exactly three years ago, probably to this date, which is actually a very interesting coincidence. And I met them in London and they, you know, we, we realized this can be done. The infrastructure is here in terms of being able to build this probably would not have been possible two years ago, but the financial infrastructure had moved along a lot with banking as a service providers. And we felt like we could build it. And we said, you know, let's do this. So we sat down with Peter and Portman and who were founding it and said, you know, we want to be involved in this at the foundation stage, help you build it. And thanks to Greg's good relationship with them, and thanks also to my presence here on the ground in London, and we were able to start it together. And I think because it was my first deal and I was on the ground here, I worked very closely with Peter and Portman. And in many ways, I felt fortunate enough to feel like a co-founder with them and probably some of the most fun I've ever had in my life and um, built one of the most amazing companies in my view, but I'm clearly biased here. <laughs> but again, as you say, you know, that's very much Greg's legacy. And just to think back that in addition to his son, uh, he's left behind some great investments like WasteStream is, is, is truly remarkable. And t- tell me about a more recent investment, a company that you've invested in over the last two or three quarters that you think is really poised for growth, e- even if it's one that's not yet in the public domain and therefore you may have to talk rather vaguely about it or one that's, uh, that's well publicized. What's a, what's a recent investment that you are absolutely passionate about and think is going to be a potential future unicorn? Sure. Well, I think uh, 2020 was a tough year. Uh, in many respects, uh, but I guess partially because of uh, fortune, partially because of maybe being holed up with no social networking events, uh, it ended up being quite a busy year for me on the investing side. So I ended up doing three uh, very exciting deals in 2020, and usually we target to do about two deals per partner a year. So that's not a rule by any stretch, but um, as you can see, we can stretch it when we find amazing companies. So I was fortunate to do three amazing deals in 2020. First one was Wayflyer which is revenue funding. So they basically provide loans and marketing analytics to e-commerce companies. And we've been talking to the founders, very similar to Wastream in many ways, before the company was founded. So it was November 2019. They were having the idea and we were discussing how you can do it. And those conversations progressed, progressed. They set up the company in March and we invested in the summer shortly thereafter. And now uh, they're doing in excess of well, tens of millions of volumes a month. I don't want to reveal the numbers here. Already uh, break-even revenue, again, very, very high. don't want to reveal it here, but doing extremely well. Uh, And that's been an amazing journey. That was the first deal of 2020. After that, I did uh, Weaver, weaver Weaver.io, which is in the banking as a service space, which is a space I'm very passionate about. Very early stage, but having amazing traction. And finally, uh, I did Get Ground which is in the prop tech space, which is a space that we're very excited about. And specifically, not any kind of prop tech, but prop tech where you know, it, it kind of meets fintech. So where fintech meets prop tech. And that's a lot to do with landlords, a lot to do with mortgages. We have a concept we like to call the landlord bank, which uh, obviously, as you can tell, we're not the best at coming up with names at QBD unless it's a Latin. <laughs> They're not in Latin. And if it's plain English, we tend to do badly. But landlord bank to us says, you know, there's landlords that invest in properties and rent them out, and they have very unique needs. And if you can serve those, there's a lot of synergies. There's a lot of economics to be had. And it's a very big segment to cater to. And you can build a lot of things on top of that. 
So GetCrown was one of the best examples in this. It's a very simple proposition on the surface. It helps landlords set up SPVs where they can put their companies into with just a few clicks. It sets up bank accounts with just a few clicks. It does their taxes for this SPV with just a few clicks. Very simple, very smooth on the surface, but it's a perfect entry into what we call the landlord bank segment. And company, we're incredibly excited about as well. I'm intrigued by the, the story of how you met the team at Wayflyer before they'd actually launched the company and you got involved in their ideas. And then when they did launch, then you did invest in them. How often are you getting involved with founders before they've even launched a company, before they're doing all these pitch events? Um, how often does that uh, happen? Well, not often enough, Gary, is probably the short answer because that's the most fun and the most exciting to see something where, you know, three, four people are sitting around a table um, having a drink, having a coffee and saying, wow, wouldn't this be cool? To seeing a company being incorporated in a company's house, to seeing the first 10 hires and then to see, you know, millions and millions in revenue is, is just that is what makes this job truly amazing. So I, for one, would love to do more of it, but it's not easy. Obviously, driven by the Waystream experience, this is something I really wanted to do. We got very fortunate. This revenue funding model is then one that we were very aware of and we liked a lot, and we're talking to people about it. And uh, one of my good partners at QD in LATAM, Mike Packer, knew a fund in LATAM that knew the founders. They were doing something else at the time. They introduced us to those founders. They were from Dublin. We met up in London. We started talking. I started sharing sort of my ideas about it and our experiences, and it started progressing from there. And quickly, before you know it, they were thinking, well, we can incorporate the company. We helped them a lot on the debt side, which was a parallel with Waitstream. We helped them a little bit on the sort of strategy business side. And before you know it, uh, they were doing it. And because we'd been so involved in those early days, and we did not invest as founders in this instance, but I think they felt very close to us. And when everything aligned and we wanted to get in, um, you know, they're very welcoming of us. And I would hope that that still holds today. Uh, we, we have a very good relationship and very special relationship, I would say. And when it comes to pitch events and, and getting to know portfolio companies or prospective portfolio companies, how has that evolved over the last 12 months? Have the pitch events just transitioned online or are you getting a different sort of connection to startups and potential portfolio companies? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, I, I've been fortunate enough to build up a lot of social capital, if you will, in my time, uh, my first three years in London, uh, where I, through our companies, through events, through QED's network, had a pretty, I would feel fortunate enough to have a very good connection to a lot of people. So you can sort of capitalize on that for a period of time. And I think I very much did that in the first half of 2020. And then I think in the summer, there's a realization, there's a second wave coming. We're not anywhere close to being done here. And then you really switch to do, you know, meeting people in a virtual medium, which is very sort of scary on the one hand, but it works on the other hand. And the fact that it works makes it even more scary. So, <laughs> uh, so, so we've been continuing that. And I think, you know, being on many boards and you have these relationships and if you, you've been working with someone for years and they trust you, and if that inter person introduces you to someone else, that tends to work. I think it would be extremely difficult uh, if I was starting from scratch, setting up QD's physical presence yeah. during COVID times. That would be very difficult. So I think I was fortunate to build on the years I was here before COVID and obviously the years I lived in uh, London before, um, before joining QD. So, so that helped. And I think 
collectively we're running on a lot of social capital and a lot of goodwill capital we built up. But I feel in many instances, I can see where that's starting to wear thin. So I, for one, can't wait to uh, start getting back to some more physical interactions. And if you go back to or think back to the days when you did used to sit at those um, long investor pitch events, what's the one that got away? What's the one company that you had the chance to invest in? You were really blown away by their proposition, but for whatever reason, it slipped through your fingers. Yeah, I mean, I think every VC investor probably has a number of those. Um, uh, for me, um, the first one that I was very excited about shortly after I joined, I've been working a lot. I had a thesis that I probably should do something really early stage because I think the Series A space was quite crowded and there was um, a lot going on there. And I, I was more passionate about doing something really early stage, seemed like it would be more fun. Again, being open-minded about it, I didn't have a rule or anything like that. But through some of my friends that were angel investors, I met the founders at Rails Bank, which I really liked. And uh, this was one of their very, very early rounds, almost like a pre-seed. We wanted to invest, but for a very long story and probably uh, worthy of a different podcast sometime else, some other time, we ended up not investing. And this was in December of 2017. And I'd been to the hackathons that uh, the founders at Rails Bank were doing, and we did not invest. But I think it shows... Sort of, if you were to talk to the founders at Rails Bank, what we did after that December 2017, even though we did not invest, we were very instrumental in helping them still get their first customers. We were very uh, instrumental in helping them get their next set of investors, even though those were not us. So in the next subsequent two rounds, we were very close to the company and helped them to succeed because we were passionate about it and we wanted to help them. And um, I think you should obviously not take my word for it, but maybe... They collaborate this with those founders and see what they think if they agree. But I think it's a good study, case study where we did not invest, but we still helped them a lot. And in a parallel universe somewhere, we probably would have invested. So that universe carries on. I guess you've built the relationship for the long term and there'll be a, a, another business they'll set up or maybe more than one and you'll, you'll have your chance to to invest that that time round. Well, it's been fascinating. Thank you so much for turning up for today's show, sharing so, so many uh, candid insights into mental health and your investment strategy and how COVID's affected the fund and your approach to investing. I wish you in the portfolio a superb 2021. Thank you, Gary. Thank you so much for your time. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.